Let's give it up to Don and Les Nettles. I know they made it look easy, but that's hard. <coughs> Public speaking and sharing vulnerable things like that is one of the hardest things you could do. So thank you so much for allowing God to use you guys to share your story, your journey, your experience, and we're blessed to have you guys here. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Matthew Bridges. He's a father to so many of us, and we're just grateful. Anytime we have an opportunity to be able to uh, have uh, Vanessa and Matthew in our presence, we're just super grateful. So Matthew, thank you so much for the welcome. If you're visiting with us, we're excited to have you this morning. I see some friends out here, and uh, we're just super excited to be able to worship with you this morning. Donald Cash, aptly named, because he took an early retirement at the age of 55 years old. And what did he want to do? He had a bucket list of things that he wanted to do. And if you have a bucket list, that means there's, there's certain things that you want to do before you leave the face of this earth. And one of the things that Donald wanted to do was there were seven of the highest mountain peaks in the country and he accomplished six of them, and he had one more that he wanted to accomplish, and that was the mother of all mountains, and that was Mount Everest. So he retired, and we, I don't know if you know, but it costs a lot of money if you want to take that trek. And if you want to have a professional tour guide, I think it's up in the six-figure range. So if you even want entry level, I think you need about 30K. Well, he retired, had all his money saved, and obviously with the six that he's already conquered, he's in training, rigorous training, and he gets to Mount Everest, and he climbs this 29,000-foot uh, mountain, just over 29,000-foot mountain, and he gets to the top of the summit, and he's just taking it all in. And shortly after reaching the summit, Donald Cash, at the age of 55 year old, years old, from Utah resident, fainted due to the high altitude sickness. And the Sherpa guides began to walk him down to the mountain, a, a, a place called Hillary Step. That's the, that's, right, that's the step right before you get to the very top of the summit. And that's where they uh, allow people to kind of recover. They're not feeling well, they're feeling sick. They tried CPR, they massaged him. They did all kinds of things to try to get his oxygen pressure levels back up. Ultimately, they were unable to save him and he passed away. And one of his last messages to his son Tanner, who told ABC News, because this hit national headlines and this, this hit New York Times, and, and one of the last things his son said, uh, he said, I feel so blessed to be on the mountain, mountaintop that I, I read about for the last 40 years. I finally made it up here with some new friends. Here is a man that's given all his time, his wealth, his energy to conquer these difficult spaces, climbing the highest mountain peaks in the world, where it's freezing, difficult, and very dangerous, yet he makes it and he drinks it all in, and then he dies. Talking about laying your life down, what a mark Donald Cash made before he left. What impact that he made. 
I can only imagine of the impact that he made on his friends and his, his uh, family members around him to the point where he was literally risking his own life. Speaking of making a mark, in the book of Mark, you could be turning there, we see how Jesus made amazing impact as well, right? Leaving his mark, leaving his imprint, not just on the lives of those who were around him in his inner circle in the first century, not just on the lives of those who became Christians in that era, but he's still making a mark today. Well, we're praising his name this morning. Amen? So the question that we should be asking ourselves is, how can we make a mark or leave an impact today regarding the people around us? The people in our schools, the people in our community, the people in our sphere of influence, the people in this room, how can we leave a mark? Because Jesus didn't die and raise from the grave just to be like, wow, man, thank you, really appreciate that. No, he left that mark so we could continue to pass on that faith to others as well. How can we leave that mark? Especially in a world where people are confused and even question Christianity. I don't know about you, but if I would have went through some of the stuff, even half of the stuff that the Nettles talked about, that would have rocked my faith. If this really is, if, if Jesus, if you're really there, why do you allow so much evil in the world? What's so special about Easter other than what Don said than the, the pastels, the plastic eggs, and the chocolate bunnies? You know, research tells us thousands of Americans, this is the Barnard research, and they, do, they conduct research and interviews from people all over the world, and they've been doing this for like about 30 years plus, and they said thousands of Americans are interviewed for the surveys they do, and they found that only 46% of Americans link Easter to the resurrection. Less than half. That's one out of two people are linking these two events one another. One time there was an atheist. There was a man who didn't believe in God to summarize Christianity. And one of the things he said was, his response was, well, Christianity has to do with one thing, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Christians, only 46% believe, and we got an atheist that knows exactly what time it is. Is he right? The atheist was right. Now, factually speaking, the evidence is quite lopsided into Jesus' favor because the Jews, the Greeks, and the Roman historians, all enemies of Christianity at that time of Jesus, say he was the real deal Holyfield. That's a 1990s little saying. <laughs> Showing my age here. They, but they said he died, rose, and was resurrected from the grave. They even said he was a miracle worker. There's an Oxford historian, Dr. Thomas Arnold, said no one fact in the history of mankind is probed by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the fact that Christ died and rose from the dead. There's a lot of theories out there about how the resurrection is not true. But guess what? It stood the test of times. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. We're going to read the first eight verses. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices 
so they might go and anoint him. That's Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was the very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place that he laid. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, and he was going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out, fled the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. All four books of the gospel biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have Jesus and the empty tomb being found by these women, Mary Magdalene, Mary Mother James, and Salome. Isn't that cool? And what's interesting is during this era, there were a lot of followers of Jesus at one point in time. But where are they now? They're scattered. They're afraid. Yet these women are bold and faithful. They show up at the spot where there's probably a Roman guard there, but they did not care. They just wanted to take care of their body of the Jewish traditions had told them to do so. But it's interesting because where do we get their narrative of the resurrection? We get it from these three women. If it wasn't for these three ladies having the faith, having the boldness, we don't have an eyewitness account from the original scene of the empty tomb. So let's give it up for these ladies. Amen. Why do I highlight that? It's important to give proper respect where respect is due. It's important because religion over the past 2,000 years, depending on who you are and where you've been, has been very patriarchal, very male-dominated. But that was not Jesus' design. His design was for us to all be seen, all be heard, all be valued, and all understand we are image bearers of him, amen? And that we all can play a role to build up the body of Christ, amen, church? These women were looking for a dead body because this is what you find in tombs, right? But when they got there, it was empty. They were even not faithful. They didn't even really know what was going on, right? They're assuming they're going to go take care of, empty, of, a, of a grave, of a dead corpse, right? But when they get there, it was empty. You know, when you open up an empty casket, what do you see? You see disintegrated or dead bones, right? You know, Caiaphas, the high priest, he persecuted Jesus at the late night trial of the Sanhedrin. Guess what they found when they opened up his bone box? Bones. Herod the Great went after all the babies in the first century when Jesus was born. Guess what they found in his bone box? Bones. They moved their bones to the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, but guess whose bone box, ossuary, they did not find bones in? Jesus. They can't find anything on them. 
This is like the biggest unsolved mystery of the last 2,000 years. Because all they had to do to disapprove the faith of the early Christians is simply produce the body like they did with others, and they couldn't find the body. Because he rose. Verse 8, it says, terror and amazement had seized them. The message version says, their heads were swimming. (laughs) I don't know how to do all that. That just made me dizzy, by the way. (laughs) Have you ever been in a position where you felt a mix of conflicting emotions all at the same time? Shocked, confused, terrified, and thrilled all at the same time? Kind of reminds me 17 years ago when Michelle gave birth to Ava. And then three and a half years later to Claire. Both times we went to the hospital, it was just her and I in the front seat and a, and a and what do you call those things in the back seat you put babies in? Car seat. And a car seat in the back seat. There was nothing in that car seat, okay? Then two days later, we come out of the hospital, and it's not just her and I, but there's a baby in that car seat, okay? When Michelle got pregnant, I, I didn't believe her. She said, I'm pregnant. I looked at the pregnancy says, and it said she was pregnant, and I still didn't believe her. Then we go to the doctor. We get to the doctor. We see a, I see a little, a, a little big head there and two little hands. And, and I was like, wow, congratulations, your father. I'm like, yeah, thank you. I go home. I still can't believe it. Michelle starts developing. The baby starts poking. I'm, I'm, I'm touching the stomach. I, I still can't believe it. It's like I know the baby's there. I saw the test. I went to the doctor. The doctor confirmed. I see the baby, baby poking out, the, out, you know, out her stomach. But it, I knew the baby was there, but it was hard to believe. Even when she delivered Claire and Ava, and I'm holding the baby, it's still surreal. Michelle said I was playing video games when she was having contractions. I said, is it real? She said, it's real. I don't believe I was playing video games. I know I definitely wasn't when Claire was born. Even when I came home, it was still surreal, even though I'm holding Ava and Claire in my hands. That's what the resurrection's all about. That's what they were going through. Still can't believe it. You know, the world can be an abysmal place sometimes. You get the news feeds on your smartphone as soon as you wake up in the morning. Bad news, bad to worse news, horrible news. Did you hear about what happened in Brooklyn? No, I didn't hear what's happening in Brooklyn. I'm still tripping out on what happened, you know, over in Europe and stuff, or, you know, in Africa. And then there's something else going on. This is always bad news going on. Conflict, violence, hate. It's hard to see hope for our future. Sometimes it's hard to see it for our kids. You know, you know I was talking to a brother last night, and we were like, this world our kids live in today, we only, we have to rely on Jesus. Because things that we went through, we had to work hard to go get a dirty magazine. I had to work hard 
to go do something. Now it's all on your smartphone. Anything you want to do is right there in the palm of your hand. So it's not that things are different. It's just that the kids today have easier access to stuff. And that is what freaks out parents. But Jesus, no matter what we go through, so many of us suffer from a cycle of pain and trauma. We feel it deeply. It hurts us. We come here and we get dressed up for church and we get excited to see each other, to sing songs, but then we go home and we get back in that cycle of darkness. More pain comes and then more coping comes and it becomes this cycle. But what I love about Jesus was Jesus faced the world unflinchingly. Jesus says, I'm not going to run from my challenges of life. As a matter of fact, he leaned into the challenges of life. He said, I will let them bully me. I will let them win, think they won. Because when he died and was buried, you know what the Romans and the Jews were thinking? It's over. It's done. And many of the disciples of Jesus were thinking the exact same thing. Yet he rose. It's hard to believe something when you can't see it. It's hard to believe something when you can't hold it, when you can't tangibly touch it. You see pictures of it in the Bible, manifestations of it by witnesses of people who had gone through it and still hard for us to believe even today. But it's true. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54b, it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. This is where everything changed. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There was always hope in Jesus because of the resurrection. Stand firm, because nothing is too much for him. He's almighty to save. No amount of debt is too expensive for Jesus. No amount of conflict is unforgivable. No amount of hurt can be uh, healed by him. Your labor is not in vain. Your love is not in vain. Your life is not in vain because he is mighty to save. These ladies went to the tomb expecting death and sadness, and they figured that they would just have to cope with it. But then they found hope. They found a future when they realized he rose from the grave. And guess what? Jesus isn't done rising. He did it for those three women at the tomb, and he did it for hundreds of people there. He did it for thousands of people, and he still does it for us today. In these few weeks before he ascended, thousands upon thousands still follow him today because of what he did over 2,000 years ago. He's still rising and making a mark. My Easter invitation to you is for you to make sure you find hope in Jesus today. Well, Damon, I'm a Christian. Did you hear what I said? Make sure you find hope in Jesus today. Because some of us are just showing up here like a hollow shell, but we're not really here. So I'm talking to the Christians. Make sure you find hope in Jesus today. And if you're visiting with us, make sure you also find hope in Jesus today. This is for all of us. This is not just for some of us. This is for every single one of us. You know what hope stands for, right? Hold on 
pain ends. As children of God, we, can, we have to remember to hold on. Pain ends. He will wipe every tear from my eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Revelation tells us. We may not get the healing and hope that we want to in this life, but on the other side, we're guaranteed to get it. God gives us everything for our enjoyment, but you know what? He doesn't make it easy. He doesn't want us to get too comfortable. This place was just passing through. It's not our home. And I think sometimes he allows us to go through certain things to remind us, I want you to be taken care of, but don't get too comfortable. I got a better place for you, Damon. I got a better place for you, church. I got a better place for you, Nettles. I want to share three small words with us that I think could be a great discussion starter for people who are visiting, for people who just moved in, and for some of us who've been around for a long time and think we know everything about each other and we really don't. Some of us have been in the same region with each other for 10, 15, 20 years and we don't know each other. We know each other's name, but we don't know each other. Three words I want you to, to share in your conversations today. You ready? Tell me more. Mm. Tell me more. Really? Tell me some more. You know what that does? It draws someone out for you to get into their world. Too often, we want people to get in our world. I'm a big mouth. I'm a Peter. I talk a lot. And sometimes I literally have to do this. Damon, shut up. You just took up the whole room, and you don't even know what's going on in the other person's life. Tell me more. I don't know you. Tell me again. You're from, you're from the West Coast. Tell me more. Okay. So this is your first time visiting? Tell me more. You're just now coming back out to church? Tell me more. How's the experience been during the pandemic, and how are you feeling about being back out? Tell me more. It's so easy to forget why we're here. Jesus died, buried, and rose. And as a result, we don't prepare ourselves to encounter the risen Jesus. How different would we be if we truly believe he rose? So the challenge for some of us as we come in for a landing here in just a second is to remember what we have forgotten. Revelation says, remember the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You remember when you first fell in love, Frank? He said, remember what you did at first. The way I got to dating Michelle, the way I married Michelle, is the same way I need to continue to love her until the day we die. Are you with me on that? As I keep evolving and growing and changing, the same fervor, the same excitement, the same passion, the same way I want to know everything about her, that's how we need to be with Jesus. That's how we need to be with each other. Let's make sure we don't get too comfortable in here with each other. Oh, I know him. Do you? Oh, she always does that. Really? Tell me more. That's why next Sunday, this is why next Sunday we're having our sacred assembly. 
It's a chance to commit or recommit our hearts to our first love. Damn it, why are we doing sacred assembly? Tell me more. So we can remember our first love. Amen? But now these women who went to the tomb, what did the angel tell them? Their job was to originally go there with spices and to prepare the body for decomposition. But now they have a new task. And the new task was for them to go tell others about Jesus. Not to dwell on his death, but to talk about how he was resurrected. William Barclay says the best evidence for the resurrection is the church itself. The best evidence for the resurrection is the church. That's you guys itself. You, like Matthew said earlier, you being here, getting out of your bed when you know you didn't want to get out of that comfortable bed this morning, you being here is a result of the resurrection, is evidence of the resurrection. You know, lies might travel faster than the truth in the beginning, but in the end, the truth travels longer. Donald Cash lived his life to the full in a lot of ways, accomplishing things most would not be able to do in his life. But God has a much higher, a more noble purpose for each and every single one of us to make our mark in this life with him, as long as we have breath in our lungs. He desires for us to leave something behind. So when we are long gone, whatever we left behind can stand the test of time. So today, maybe you found yourself at an intersection. Maybe you're a first time visitor and you love Jesus, but you don't quite know how to pull all it together. and You know you need to get right with him and be more committed to him. Maybe you're at a crossroads, a new iteration of who you are versus who you want to become in your spiritual journey. Decide today to make your mark, no matter if you're starting all over or no matter if you're trying to recommit. Following Jesus is what it's all about because there is no one quite like him. He died and was buried, rose for you and for me. What an honor and privilege for each of us to continue to pass on that legacy for generations to come. God bless you and happy Easter.